podcast what's going on how's everybody doing uh it's bobby watts here thank you for checking in definitely appreciate you guys listening um so today i've got a pretty cool one uh so a few weeks back i did a interview um with the drone trainer podcast uh, this is with Chris Anderson uh, out of Canada. He's got a really cool podcast. I suggest you check it out if you're into um, drones for uh, service. So like if you have a service-based business where you fly drones, um, maybe real estate or uh, cinematography, whatever it might be. Um, he's got a pretty cool podcast here. And he's also got a, a business, The Drone Trainer, where he's writing a lot of different uh, articles and um, just a lot of helpful content on his website. So definitely go check it out. So I did an interview with him, kind of, um, he asked some really great questions, kind of summarizes what I've been up to recently with my business, Watts Innovations. Um, I apologize, my audio was kind of cutting in and out, um, so apologize for the audio dropping out. But I think overall it was a really good conversation and thought you might find it uh, informative and valuable. So um, another thing that I mentioned throughout the podcast, kind of towards the end, um, is really about social media and how that's helped my business grow. Um, and I highly suggest you guys take a look at that part. I think that that's been like the number one reason why my business right now is actually succeeding. Uh, I think it's the right business model in the right time, but um, really stepping up my social media game has very much helped with things. And I highly suggest, as I mentioned in the episode, uh, take a look at this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V on Twitter and such. He's just been phenomenal. Um, adapting some things that he's recommended has absolutely been uh, pivotal in why my business is doing uh, as well as, as it is right now. I'm just so thankful for it. So anyway, uh, this is the episode here, an interview with uh, Chris Anderson on the Drone Trainer podcast. So check it out. This is High Voltage with Bobby Watts. Hey everybody, how's it going? This is episode number 75 of the Drone Trainer Podcast, and on this week's episode, I have Bobby Watts from Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Baltimore, Bobby, sorry. <laughs> Baltimore, yeah. Anyway, Bobby is a uh, drone pilot who also creates heavy lift drones for a variety of applications. This is a really cool episode as we talk about his drone building business, as well as what he's doing when he's flying, and some huge tips when it comes to marketing, especially when it, it comes to use of the Facebook pixel and retargeting. So if you're interested in new ways to market your drone business, this one is definitely for you. Before we get to the show, though, I just want to remind you I have a bunch of freebies over at thedronetrainer.com. You can just head over there and get a free logbook, pre-flight checklist, whatever it is uh, that you need to learn how to fly your drone at the, f at the start. Uh, I have it all there for you. So just head over to thedronetrainer.com and you can download all that stuff there for free. And if you're going to buy a drone, just head over to thedronetrainer.com slash store. If you click through to DJI or to Amazon, I'll get a couple bucks in commission. That just helps keep advertising off of this podcast. So I thank you in advance. If you're going to buy any kind of drone, just go and click through there first. It doesn't cost you anything extra at all. All right, now let's get to today's interview with Bobby Watts from Baltimore. Hey, Bobby, how's it going? I'm doing pretty well, Chris. How about yourself? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Can you just introduce yourself for everybody? Yeah, for sure. My name is Bobby Watts, and I'm currently uh, speaking to you from the Baltimore, Maryland area. Uh, recently uh, relocated from Orlando, Florida in the middle of the winter, which I do not recommend. <laughs> yeah, was that a bit of a shock to your system? Man, it's brutal. Like I, I grew up here. I grew up in the Baltimore area. 
And uh, so my fiance and I were like, ah, let's let's move back home. Let's move closer to family. And, you know, we, we've been in Florida for so long. Like, let's head back home and see how see how things go. And man, it's cold up here. <laughs> it what, is cold. What are winters like in Baltimore? Um, winters in Baltimore are about today's like a classic day, although we're just, we're out of winter. But it's like, you know, like 40 degrees kind of raining, cloudy, windy, just not, not great, you know, just not great. And then the occasional snow. So, um, you know, all, all in all, they're, they're not Orlando winters. That's for sure. Yeah. I'd say there's probably a big difference <laughs> between, between the two. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. But, uh, it's, it's been cool. It's been cool seeing our, our family more and everything. So it was, a, uh, it was a good switch for us to, to change things up. So I don't think I've spoken with anybody from Baltimore before. And I have to ask this question. Did you ever watch the show called the wire? Um, you know what? I haven't. Do you know what it's about? uh, Yes, I do. And the city's pretty rough. Okay. Um, I was going to ask if that's what it's like there. Well, there's, I mean, it's like any city, like there's areas where it's really nice and just, just super nice. Just like night, you know, lots of nice apartments and, uh, buildings and, you know, restaurants and things to do. But then there's certain parts of the city where you don't want to go there at night. You know, you don't want to make a wrong turn, but I I would Mm -hmm. say the same is probably a of like a Chicago or New York or any big city like that. So, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, but I'm in the suburbs. I'm in suburbia. So we're, we're good. We're cool. fine. Yeah. That's my, really my only, only exposure to Baltimore. I know the Orioles, but I, I don't, I don't know what the actual city looks like other than what I've seen in that show. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, it, it gives you the, it gives you, uh, it paints one picture. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. definitely what they were going for with the production on that one. I think so. I think so. But um, but no, uh, we're we're good. We're good out here in, in the county. Ah, cool, very nice. So, what are you doing with drones? Well, that's a good question. Um, so currently, and where I've kind of ended up, and where I'm really happy to be, is uh, I am uh, custom designing. Uh, so, designing and manufacturing uh, custom industrial drones for drone service providers. So, I'm going after that uh, small percentage of the community where a simple um, plug-and-play off-the-shelf drone will not work for your application. Um, And so I'm going, uh, mainly my markets right now are in the cinematography business, uh, LiDAR scanning business, and people who want to fly large payloads, um, you you know, decent distances. So that's kind of the three markets where I'm uh, currently attacking right now. Nice. And are you creating systems from scratch, or are you utilizing systems that exist and then modifying them based on the need? Um, that's another great question. So it, uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to what the customer wants. So, um, at the moment, my most popular machine and actually the only machine I've put into production, um, for the last year or so year and a half is, uh, what I call the MFD 5000. And it's a bigger, uh, if you look at like the DJI Matrice 600, the uh, hexacopter, uh, it's just a bigger version of that. So this version in particular, the one that's been the most popular, utilizes a lot of DJI parts. And then I assemble, you know, I ha- I've designed and manufactured my own custom frame. And then it doesn't stop there. That's kind of where it just begins. So that's the aircraft. But then we go forward and offer um, full customization, like custom FPV cameras, custom integrated battery connectors. Um, you know, if people want... Uh, uh, whatever it is, so like HDMI converters, so we can spit out a live image from a movie camera. We can do that. 
um, custom landing gear, retracts, uh, batteries, you know, battery cases, charge cases. So I'm trying to just offer the entire solution um, to a customer so that when they get a drone, they don't need to have their drone techs or whoever it is, you know, modify it and add cameras and gizmos and stuff. They just get a drone that is to their spec exactly how they want it so they can hit the job site literally the next day. Well, that sounds awesome. So how long have you been working with drones in total? Like, when did you start? Um, so with drones, I've been working with drones since probably, uh, I just have to say, so I, I started RC when I was 15. Uh, I'm 30 now, so half my life, and I started with RC helicopters. And where the RC helicopters kind of, the RC helicopters led into the drones, in my opinion. So I've been working with drones, I guess you could say, for 15 years. Um, but multi-rotors, I think my first multi-rotor I designed and flew was probably around 2010 or so. It's about nine years. Wow, that's um, uh, you are probably the most... <laughs> dinosaurish <laughs> person yeah. I've spoken to on here so far then like I was yeah. in 2014 and people hear that and they're like what but then <laughs> now I hear you say 2010 and I'm like what <laughs> yeah yeah we were um yeah I mean I mean and it's funny so I come from the background of uh 3d so aerobatic rc helicopters so if you if uh you know your listeners aren't aware just go to youtube and type in uh aerobatic rc helicopter or 3d heli and check them out because it's probably the coolest aspect of any rc ever i mean i'm biased but um so the helicopters they can go upside down they can go sideways we can go 130 miles an hour and stop on a dime um i mean these things are seriously seriously overpowered and just like the the technology in them is just really incredible um and then where where the drone started i believe was you know, the transition away from RC helicopters, but they took all of the way in which the helicopter flight controllers acted um, and how you give inputs into them. So if you're wondering whenever you go to set up a RC helicopter for or a, a drone, for example, you see like mode one, mode two for some of your radio inputs, that all comes from the RC helicopter and RC airplane technology that was created, you know, decades ago. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see how the helicopters morphed into the drones now and, and it's um it's been helpful for me to have that background in rc helis to see you know where everything came from and where where things are going yeah for sure and i like that you referenced the the acrobatic helicopter side of things and i've seen some of those videos and they're amazing like it looks like such a blast if you get the you know your your hands and the skills you know down to the level where you can fly those things like that like it just looks like so much fun and i had a funny story from yeah. a couple of years ago i had someone apply for my on my commercial drone operation and he said okay. like you know experienced operator rc background helicopters this that blah 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 into drones now and so i said okay send me some samples of your footage just so i can see you know what you know what you're like before we before we meet up and go from there and he sent me this video of like an acro helicopter operation and he was just <laughs> hammering that thing around and i was like okay cool but like yeah. What can you do with a drone? Like this is this it's different, right? I want to see can you can you fly smoothly <laughs> and do that kind of stuff because what you showed me is none of that, right? Like it's very cool, but it's not relevant to, you know, shooting shooting some footage for, you know, uh, real estate or whatever it's going to be, right? 
Yeah, it's different. And it's, it's two different disciplines. Um, so from my side, I, I come from the background of, I, I have kind of a weird background. So I come from one background of designing and, you know, as a kid, I was always building erector sets and, and things and, you know, have a mechanical engineering degree. So I have the design side, but then on the personal side, you know, I have, uh, you know, I was a sponsored pilot for RC helicopter companies for many years, you know, probably 10 years or so, uh, doing competitions and, and doing exactly as you described. So, you know, we would fly the helis in a freestyle fashion, or we would fly them to music or, 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 or whatever it was. And so what I learned through the competition was how to be precise, how to fly symmetrically. So, um, you know, if we're doing a circle maneuver of some sort and you've got wind blowing from the left at 10 miles an hour, the judges don't care how much the wind's blowing, but your circle better be exactly centered about the middle of the flight line. So I've taken that and that discipline and that knowledge that I had in, in training for RC helicopter competitions and now carrying that where if I go fly for a movie director or something and then he says, OK, hold this motorcycle right in the middle of the shot, then I have some sort of, you know, uh, background to saying like, OK, like I understand center, I understand symmetry. And then I understand how to move the aircraft about space in order to pull off a shot like that. So um, it's, it's just funny how the uh, everything kind of adds up to really help out, you know. Yeah, it uh, when you relate it that way, you can see how the you know transition from one to the other would make sense. And based on your background and your knowledge and how to handle wind and how to you know set angles and things like that, it all makes sense. So it's definitely an advantageous background that you have. Yeah, yeah, it helps. And then with helicopters too, nothing is stabilized. So right. when we pick up a drone and we cross the sticks and you give it some throttle and then take your hands off the sticks, the drone is doing everything for you yep. where with helicopters it's if your listeners are familiar with like a manual mode where there's no stabilization no height hold that's how everything is in the helicopter so i mean i remember when i was first starting it took me a year to fly it nose in to where the nose was facing me and and then i landed nose in which was a huge accomplishment i mean man i was jumping up and down after i did that so to start from there to the point where now you just cross the sticks throw some throttle take your hands off with a 20 mile an hour wind and the drone just sits there. Um, you know, it, it really spoils you. So it, it helps to be able to go back. And now even when I fly my helis for fun, you know, all, all that orientation and the strange ways of looking at it really helps for when, uh, I'm test flying a drone with a $200,000 LIDAR sensor on it and the GPS goes out for, you know, whatever reason, you're near trees or something, and you're now stuck in a strange orientation with your drone, it doesn't scare me. So it, you know, like I said, I think it all builds on top of each other. And I think that, you know, like pilots, especially who are learning, I would just say like as much stick time as you can get is absolutely like the best, the best thing you can do for yourself and for your business. Yeah, for sure. And you raise a good point there too, saying that, you know, when you're flying in GPS mode, things will be nice and stable and you can let go of the sticks and it'll hang out. But there are those times where the GPS will drop and you have to fly it yourself. So yeah, I, I'm a big, yeah. I, I like to suggest and I teach everybody to fly in attitude mode and I make sure that everybody gets used to that just so they can, you know, watch how the drone drifts with the wind and how to counter that and how to try and hold it steady in that case. Because if you practice like that and then it happens in the real world with that LIDAR sensor that you just mentioned, you're not going to freak <laughs> out right away, right? You're going to be like, I've seen this before. Yeah, the risk absolutely. is a little higher right now because I've got a very expensive payload on here, but I know what to do. I can fly it in this circumstance, right? 
Sure, sure. I, I completely agree. Completely agree. And another thing I really try to push too is is um, is try to fly, you know, try to get as much practice. Like what I've seen out of drone operators is that I don't see much practice going on. Where when I came from with the helicopters, I mean, it was like a sport, you know. I remember waking up early in the summer and going out to the field and flying like five or six flights whatever, seven minutes long each or something, you know, flying good bit, getting a good amount of stick time in the morning, coming home, resting, and then going back out in the afternoon once the heat kind of eased off a bit and getting a lot more stick time in. And as I'm practicing, you know, people from the guys from the field would be out just hanging out, talking to me, asking me questions, and I'd be answering stupid questions while I'm trying to practice my precise maneuvers and hold down choreography well it's the same thing if you if you look at it where let's say if you're doing real estate or um you know cinematography of some sort you know it's not like you're just flying in your nice little quiet bubble you know you've got directors yelling and you've got um director of photographies talking to your gimbal operator how to adjust the picture and i mean there's so much going on and so much commotion that you have to be able to interpret and, and understand everything that's going on and in order to uh, pull off the shot that they're looking for or the shot that you really need for to, to pull off a successful job. So there's a lot going on and it, it takes a little bit of the, the left brain and right brain working together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Are you flying any commercially available drones or just your own systems now? Um, so t- at the moment, I'm not really flying much of anything other than just test flying the stuff that I um, sell. So. Okay. Um, for a long time, I was um, when I was in Florida for many years. I was there for seven, eight years. Um, I was the chief pilot for XCAM Aerials, um, based out of Orlando, and that's headed up by an awesome guy named Jordy Klein, really good friend of mine. Um, and so with him, we did a bunch of feature films, and uh, we would shoot for some really, really cool companies and uh, commercials and everything. And when I was shooting with him, we used everything from like the um, the Inspire, Inspire 2 uh, from DJI. And then we would use like the Free Fly Alta 8. And then most recently, I designed the first MFD 5000 for him. And we're carrying everything from like a DJI Ronin 2 to a Free Fly Movi Pro gimbal, um, you know, flying the high end cinema cameras. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm dealing with. And then I've also got like a Mavic Pro 2 that I just goof off with. Um, so yeah, ma- mainly a lot of DJI stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I think they make excellent stuff. They, yeah. they make great equipment. Yeah, they do. And you mentioned earlier that you're using a lot of their components in your uh, built system. So are you using the, their flight controllers and that kind of thing? Yes, okay. yes. Uh, and, well, at the end of the day, it goes back to whatever the customer wants, uh, whatever the client wants. So most 99% of my clients right now will can get by with a um, DJI A3 flight controller. And personally, I just think it's the best out there and the best in multi, uh, from a global perspective. Um, it's the easiest to set up. It's the easiest uh, and most reliable that I've found. You know, we've done dozens of these things without a single problem. Um, you know, when, when my clients get it on set, or, you know, one of my clients get it and they're out in the field learning how to use the system. Most of them are, are very comfortable because it uses the DJI Go app. Um, and, and it's very similar to their Phantom or their Mavic or their Inspire. So for multiple reasons, I do like the A3. Uh, I do get a lot of requests from especially government-affiliated um, businesses inside or government-affiliated 
um, people and teams looking for PixHawk integrations. And um, I'm testing some different uh, carrier boards and platforms and such for PixHawk. But I just find that for the end user, the PixHawk is very, very customizable and it almost has too many options that unless they're specifically trained on how to use the PixHawk, most of the end users just struggle with it. It's just, it's, it's very powerful. Um, so yeah, mo mostly as of right now, we're just using a lot of DJI stuff, but always testing out new things. Oh, very cool. Do you find that they are asking for something other than DJI for like the China concern and that kind of, you know, it seems to be that constant churn of people saying like you might be giving up a little more information than you want to or whatever. Do you find that it's for those reasons they're asking for an alternative? Uh, yeah. Yep. That's it. Um, uh, so the U.S. government, I think this was last summer or two years ago, I think about a year and a half ago now, I think, um, they put in some sort of stipulation or clause saying that they cannot, um, you know, government agent, if, you, if you're using a drone for a government agency uh, cannot uh, use any DJI components and <laughs> that's kind of all I was told um, some of my clients can't even use like a DJI motor so um, that's fine so I've identified some other uh, motors and such that like I said we're always testing and and playing with when that right client comes that they can't use uh, DJI components so I, I can understand it because they can track you they can lock you out remotely I think that their concern is that if something big were to ever happen or some sort of uh, global event were to happen, then I think that they're just concerned about our whole fleet of drones just being grounded with the push of a button. So I, I can totally understand it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a lot of the concerns are valid in the like the spying side of things, I guess? Um, like, Do you think it's something that's actually going on or is it... There's potential for it, so there's a concern, or is it just a bunch of speculation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess if you are a DJ, I mean, you would have to look at like what DJI can see on their side. So if you're shooting with your, let's say if you're shooting with your Mavic, for example, and you're out there, you're taking photos, then you're, you take your photos and then you upload them to SkyPixel. I believe that's the hub for the photos. Um, or, you, or you, you know, you take your photos and such, and they're geotagged, then I believe DJI from their back end can see what you're taking pictures of. And I believe the government's main concern is things, um, things like uh, nuclear power stations or things that are sensitive to IP that we have going on, maybe things going up um, into space, uh, maybe things that are being used, that are weaponized. So I, I think that their concern is, number one, them, them seeing our, our IP and seeing things that we're working on that we perhaps don't want them to see. And then number two, as I mentioned, we, they just don't want us to get locked out and, and lose whatever might happen. You know, I'm not saying a war or anything, but you, you know, we would be shut down with push of a button because they can remotely lock you out based on your uh, uh, identification number. So that's, that's very possible. I think that that's probably the main threat. That's the, the main problem right now. Yeah, that's. I didn't think of that side of it, like the lockout side. So that totally makes sense. And yeah, I guess it's, you know, there's the potential, it's a threat. Um, you know, will it happen? Hope not. But yeah, I guess you, yeah. you, raise, you raise some good points with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Now, I'm lucky because most of my clients are coming from the side of cinematography or LIDAR scan. Like I said, skin, cinema, skin, uh, excuse me, cinematography and infrastructure scanning and uh, photogrammetry, things of that nature. 
Um, and the only problem those guys really run into is that they are, you know, all these guys are 107 certified. Uh, they carry insurance. Um, they've got uh, permission to fly, even if they're within two miles of an airport, let's, let's just say. Most of the time they call the tower, talk with the tower. They're good. They get a COA from the FAA. They're all set. But then they show up and then they're locked out with the DJI Go app, like DJI locks them out. So then they have to submit and go through the process through the app or through AirMap or uh, Kitty Hawk or whatever else it is. And so it's just an extra level of complexity that these professional service operators have to deal with. Like even though they're all set and all the regulations, everything's are good, everything's good, they still have to worry about them getting locked out if they're too close to a no-fly zone. So I think that that's, it's a fine line that the service um, providers that I work with, that it's a fine line that they seem to be dealing with in terms of, you know, wanting a, a very easy uh, system that's easy to use on set or on the shoot. But at the same time, they've got to have that flexibility to be able to fly in a no-fly zone because they do have authorization. So, Do you have any personal experience with obtaining an unlock for certain zones? <clears throat> um, I have. And it depends. It depends on the drone and, and what era we did this. Because you know, I, I'm, our our first few shoots that we did, you know, when, when we were using like a NASA two or a Wukong, like there was nothing. And then a few years ago, there were some uh, unlock zones. We would we would be filming like the Skyway Bridge in Tampa or something, uh, or St. Pete. And uh, that was pretty close to the airport. And so you just have to click on the app and then say, I, you know, you agree that you certify you have the authorization to fly there. But um, I haven't been out in the field shooting all that much recently in the last six months to a year because I've just been cranking on my uh, building business. But um, but I'm pretty sure that right now that where it's heading is a lot better, where I think you can get almost instant uh, access, which is really good. And I think as soon as they begin tying it to the uh, Lance, L-A-A-N-C, the low altitude, um, the instant uh, COA that they're providing on the FAA's behalf, I think as soon as they tie that into them unlocking your uh, DJI flight controller, I think that's when the Synergy makes it so much easier from an operator side. Yeah, I've, I've done some of those easy tapped unlocks, and then also I've had a couple other more complicated ones where I had to send in paperwork to prove that the airport that I was good <laughs> yeah. to go and stuff like that there. And I found the turnaround was fairly quick. Like, it was kind of like an overnight thing just based on the time zone difference. Um, yeah. But, yeah, if you're standing there and then you realize you can't fly, like, you might be, you know, you might be stuck. You might not be able to go. But it's, yeah, yeah if, you, if you prepare and you know where you're going to be flying... And you're mm -hmm. aware of what, like they DJI, they publish their maps right online so you can see where the no-fly zones are. So you can prepare yep. in advance to see like, am I good to go here or not, right? So I'll put a link to yep. that as well in the show notes for if people aren't sure what that unlock page looks like with the maps on it all. Make sure to add that in. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. The other thing I would, I would throw out there too to any service professional is, um, and it's come through for us many times, and this was probably three years ago, before everything was really kind of ironed out, we would just carry uh, like aluminum duct tape um, in our bag, and you just simply tape over where the GPS is, and you fly in complete, you know, non-GPS attitude mode. So once again, if you, if you have a COA, if you've got clearance, if you're completely legal, but for whatever reason, you can't get the, the unlock from the DJI side, if you tape over that, then that could um, 
that'll allow you to at least fly. Now, I'm not recommending that to break rules of any sort, but all I'm saying is that, or if that tape peels off and it sees it's in a no-fly zone, it could do some really bad things. But I do know that as professionals, we were completely good to go. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get it to happen through DJI fast enough. And so in that case, that was the only way we had to fly and it got the job done. So this disclaimer um, this, was brought to you by Bobby Watts Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I make I'm not a lawyer or I, I, I make no, uh, you know, <laughs> I take no responsibility for such actions. If you do yeah. that, you're doing that on your own. Yeah, but for sure. it's, it's no different that that would be no different than you just having a, a, a nano Wii on your on your aircraft or, you, you know, flying a drone of some sort without GPS. So at that point, you're you're really no different. Yeah. For um, sure. Yeah, like FPV machine or, or something. You're you're kind of in the same league at that point. Right. Have you ever stepped into the world of racing and the, like the tiny little quads and stuff, or you tend to stick to the larger heavy lifters? Um, I did. A uh, buddy of mine um, got into the business, and we tried to start up a little like a. Um, we had our own platform. It was like a 200 size racing quad, and we got into it pretty hard a few years ago. But for me, it was too hard to keep up with how fast everything was changing and evolving and from the helicopter side for example you know we could build a heli that's a high-end machine for probably two years or so before you really have to touch it or change anything Um, but with the fpv stuff god the tech was just emerging like every three weeks every four weeks and it was just really hard to keep up um and nonetheless i just kept crashing all the time and everything so it wasn't quite the thing for me but i definitely have respect for those guys and I think it's very cool what the Drone Racing League and MultiGP and some of the other organizations are doing because it's uh, it's very cool. It's very hard. It's very hard. So I give them nothing but respect on that. Yeah, for sure. I gotta try and get a hold of somebody on the racing side of things to get on the podcast because we haven't spoken with anybody that does that side of things yet, and just be curious to see what their what their take is on it and and that kind of stuff. So if any, if you yeah. or anybody listening has a recommendation for who I should hit up, maybe someone that is active in the leagues and is having some success there then i'd love to speak with them on the show here yeah for sure i got a few guys i could put you in touch with i'll uh i'll send them over to you right on hopefully they can get on the show that it's it's interesting i think it's um i at first i wasn't sure how it was going to take off because my how i was looking at it was you know in terms of how how is it going to do on espn or or you know how's it going to do in the public spotlight because at first I was like, well, it's just like watching your friends play video games. Like, no one wants to do that. And I was cl- that's clearly not the case if you look at um, all the uh, esports that's going on right now. So I, I think that it could have a chance. It, it really could because it blends a little bit of, like, video gaming with real life, um, you know, real life physics and, and things happening in the real world. So I, I think it's really cool. Yeah, I wondered too about how they're going to show this on TV because you've got like the the first person view, or you're going to watch the drone zip around. And is it a spectator sport or is it not? Like there, but I think they've had some amazing success with it so far, and I really like to see you know what, what the perspective of someone that's actually sitting in that chair, burning around inside of a hockey <laughs> arena or something like that, right? Just to see what what their feelings are and how they think the sport's going to grow. Yeah, I, I think it's getting there. I think they're learning a little bit more how how to make it a better spectator sport. Cause if you go watch a race without, if you just go watch a race without seeing any video or anything, it's kind of boring. It's not really that fun, but doing it yourself, it's one of the most, I mean, it gets the adrenaline going. It's, it's 
the same as, you know, if we're talking about 3D helis, it's the same as flying a 3D helicopter an inch off the ground, kind of cutting the grass as you flip and roll around. It's the same kind of adrenaline if you're neck and neck battling for first place with somebody. So um, I, I think it's cool. I, I, I definitely think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, me too. So back to yeah. your business. What are you doing to market yourself? How does someone find what you're doing and what you're building? Um, so I am 100 uh, percent. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm evenly split between word of mouth and uh, social media. So I have very much been using uh, especially LinkedIn and Instagram to promote my business and uh, target customers and retarget them and, um, you know, run a lot of content and, and just kind of document what I'm doing and hopefully they can find me that way. So it's, it's, uh, it's, and I'm fortunate enough now to where I've got some of these out there, some of these drones out there and uh, a lot more people are starting to see them on sets and see them out in the field doing good work. So now the word of mouth business is kind of coming back. But in the beginning, it was absolutely nothing but social media. Is it like the 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 Shelby's where someone will recognize your autograph on the landing gear and be like, "That's a Bobby Watts." <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think so. No, it's just they see the machine, and be like, "Oh wow, that's new. What's that?" Yeah, and then the customer will tell them, and and uh, and then they come back and and hit me up, and and it's cool because I've been I've been getting some comments kind of coming back from you know uh, third or fourth degree people that, uh, relationships that maybe I haven't spoken with this person, but. Uh, they called a friend and asked around. So um, it's really cool. I, I even had a guy, a customer the other day, wanting to uh, vet out my machine and see if it was the right fit for him. And so I thought what he did was brilliant. He just went on my Instagram and he saw all the companies that I've done work for. And he just started cold calling them. And he started cold calling the company saying, hey, I saw you bought one of those MFD 5000 drones. How is it? How, how do you guys like it? And well, I guess they put in a good words because now I'm building him one. So um, that's a that's it, a great tactic that they've employed there. And I've I've used that in the past yeah. too. Where I've had like you know, a recent example, there was a a drone network that wanted me to sign on with them, and they promised that they would be publicizing me and get me jobs and all kinds of marketing <laughs> and this and that and this and that. So I was like, oh, cool. So I looked at their website and I saw this whole giant pile of clients, and I thought, well, I'm going to ask the people that are already on there how this is going. And I contacted yeah. them and. Most of them didn't even get back to me. The ones that did get back to me say, actually, we got a free listing and they're not really doing anything for us kind of thing. And I'm like, well, then no, oh, I'm not man. paying for this, right? So it's a smart <laughs> move by what like what that person did to to test, you know, see what people thought of your equipment too, right? Like you can yeah. you can talk all day long about how awesome it is, right? But yeah, that agree. testimonial you get from a client, that's gold. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I couldn't agree more. So, um, and, and I'm trying to take care of, my customers as best as I can. Cause I have that, I have that, you know, decade of experience of, or 15 years, I guess we could say of being out in the field and flying things. So I just know that I can run a finite element analysis all day long in, in my CAD software. And I could tell you that something's strong enough, but I'd rather lean, lean on my 15 years of experience flying in the field, knowing that, ah, you know what, that part needs to actually be a little stronger than what the computer says. Um, and then just having the empathy to understand of how stressful it is being uh, on a movie shoot and the sun's coming up and the director, everybody's running around and then you need to get the shot and something's not working. So, you know, I, 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 I understand. I understand where everybody's coming so, from. So I'm just trying to uh, help out the guys and my clients as much as I can. So mm -hmm. um, it's doing my best. 
Yeah, no, it looks like you're doing a good job. Like we connected on LinkedIn and it was because I saw how active you were on there just, you know, basically daily showing the new systems you're building and what state they're at and the delivery to the client and things like that. <laughs> so yeah, it's you're doing doing a bang up job there. You mentioned retargeting uh, with, yes. with Instagram. So are you using, uh, or just tell me about it. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna speculate. Tell me what you're doing. Um, okay, so I mean, I guess so this goes into like a, a internet marketing um, sort of sort of deal. And I, I guess the first thing I absolutely have to throw out there is for anybody who's looking to make their business grow more, uh, the single biggest thing that helped me was watching a uh, online personality and like, you, you know, this guy kills it online. His name's Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary yes. V. That, you know what? That's the second time I, I've heard his name mentioned this morning. So, yeah, he is awesome. You know what? I would highly recommend if you guys want to do things to your business, I would highly recommend you devote this weekend and find, find time whenever, whenever you can. Just go watch at least like an hour worth of videos. And if you find it the least bit intriguing, just dive in because listening to his content has significantly helped my business. Like I can't even begin to, to speak how much. So. If, if we go back to, you know, for example, like we met because you saw me posting on uh, LinkedIn a lot. And so he has this whole thesis of just document, don't create. So I used to just do all these really cool, fancy videos and do maybe like two or three a year, you know, three or four a year. And they'd be really nice edited and they would fade in from black and have all this perfect music. Well, that's cool but the internet has evolved to the point now where i think people just want to see constant content every single day so the hard part is coming up with the creative you know what do i post what do i do i take all these drone images but what do i do with them you know i, I i've got so much cool things but i don't really know how to put it into a video and everything so the the general thesis that he discusses is instead of creating this crazy video with all this music and everything just document what you're doing and then you as the person are the creative individual. You are the variable. And so it's going to be coming from your point of view, which makes it creative and different from anybody else's. So that's all I'm trying to do. So if you saw me posting every day, it might have been one day I was soldering a battery connector. The next day I was visiting a machine shop to pick up parts or, um, hey, my clients just shot this movie or they're doing this. So it's just literally just, hey, here's what I did today. And as soon as I adopted that, it's like, holy cow, like that really changed things for me. Yeah, um, it's a huge so. part of it because like you mentioned, you can see all the creative side of things, but people are interested in what goes on in the background, right? They want to know who you are and what you're doing, yeah. right? So it, yeah, I think so. It's, I, I think it's so. appealing. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And then if you can just provide people value, so whether it's uh, make them laugh or teach them something, um, I think that 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 works. Like in the, in the helicopter side, um, my good friend, Bert Kammerer and I had a, uh, online video series called smack talk. And we started that in 2010 with the RC helicopters. And, um, we would just charge like per video it would be like three bucks for an hour long video. And we would teach everything from how to set up your helicopter to how to do different maneuvers. We'd follow, you know, we would go to Australia for an event and kind of vlog the whole time and everything. And we had a huge following. I mean, we had, a, it was like 10,000 customers or something all over the world who would watch this. This was even before YouTube. Like we couldn't even put the videos on YouTube because they were too long. Um, so I, I just found that, okay, so people want to, to, to learn. And, and so people either want to be entertained or they just want to learn. And so I think if you can do one or the other, 
then it then it really helps for sure. So um, yeah, I, I think whatever you just have to find what works for you because some people are very very technical and they understand that and they can they can spit that they can spit that truth. But some people just want to be entertained and can entertain. Yeah. So you just have to find what works for you. Yeah, for sure. And I think you're doing a good job of it too, because I I know on LinkedIn people say like it's not the same as Facebook. Don't treat it the same, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, you still want to see the personal side of somebody, right? Like it's we're you know you're out there on LinkedIn showing what you're doing, and I think that's you know it's definitely appealing to people. So yeah, good yeah. work. You're like what? you're doing an excellent job. Uh, I, oh, well, I there's there's a bunch of people I follow on LinkedIn or that I'm connected with on LinkedIn that do a, oh. do a great job with it. But yours, it seems, and it's probably because I you know, like and comment on this stuff, but it seems like it's mm-hmm. always like kind of like front when I log into you know, oh, LinkedIn nice. and stuff like that. So yeah. It's... Well, well, thank you. And, and, and it goes, you know, a level, a level deeper, I guess it, it the, because LinkedIn is still growing. Um, I would say it, it, you know, it's, it's way far behind the likes of an Instagram or a Facebook, but because LinkedIn is still growing, what I have found, for example, is that the organic reach is really high. So as you just said, you know, you're seeing more of my content, because maybe you're liking it or commenting on it more as to where with Facebook, I have to run ads in order to get your attention in order for you yep. to see it. Um, so it, it still works. And I, I think you just have to tailor the content a little bit differently. Um, so from my side, uh, this is a general rule, I believe for most drone operators, and hopefully this could help maybe some of your audience. I believe the um, uh, cinematography, picturesque, beautiful, drone stuff lives on Instagram and the, uh, business, um, you, you know, scanning, LIDAR scanning infrastructure, uh, drones providing a service for a business completely lives on LinkedIn and Facebook exists a little bit of both. Um, I haven't seen really my, my Facebook traffic for industrial drones really doesn't do much at all. Um, I haven't quite figured that one out to be honest with you. So I, hopefully that could help some of you guys out. There are some really good groups in, in all, in, especially in Facebook. There's a great UAS group that you can look up. Um, I forget what it's called, like Part 107, um, Part 107 UAS members or something. But there's, there's a very active group uh, on Facebook. So yeah, it just depends what you're doing and, and, uh, and what you're trying to accomplish. But I've definitely found so much value in those in those three online channels that it, I, I can't even begin to <laughs> can't even begin to speak about it. Yeah, shoot me a link to that Facebook group after we finish chatting here, and then I'll make sure to add it into the show notes as well too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then to get back to your question, just really quickly, you asked about like a retargeting. Yeah. Um, so all I'm doing with retargeting is I'm running a simple um, little cookie or whatever you would call it on uh, my website where it's called Facebook Pixel. So basically what happens is if you come to my website for whatever reason, then that Facebook pixel will track that and say, oh, you are a Facebook user and you went to his website. So then what happens is if I want to run an advertisement to you, I can run an advertisement on Facebook to anybody who's ever gone to my website. So that means is, for example, if you are on LinkedIn and then you see something that I posted on my website, and then you click on it, then you, you, you see my website. And then two months from now, I decide to run an ad to anybody who's ever seen my website and gone to that exact link that I wanted you to. Then when you're on Facebook and you're a whatever, if you're a 60-year-old grandfather looking at photos of your grandkids and you scroll down, 
then whatever, once every five to 10 pieces of content that you see as an ad, then you could potentially see my ad, even though you've never clicked on my Facebook site. So that's how that works. It's just simple, um, simple retargeting outside of the platform that you actually visited me by. And are you doing that on Instagram as well too, or just sticking to Facebook for that kind of thing? Because I know the Facebook pixel will allow you to uh, yes. put your ads on Instagram too. Correct. Correct. Uh, it depends. So going back to it, so cinematography, I'm doing all, all of my marketing efforts on cine- cinematography basically or on Instagram. Um, and then all my commercial side, LiDAR and stuff, that's that's more on uh, LinkedIn. And then Facebook, I do a little bit of both because it's, it's it's very cheap. The ads right now are so cheap that you can get a pretty good, you know, pretty good idea. So I would say like if you're a drone service provider and, and you're whatever, you have an Inspire 2 and you're out there and you, you shoot for a lot of people in your area, man, if you look into Facebook ads and the type of ads you can run in your area, then it is just unreal the amount of reach you can get for just, I mean, for 50 bucks. I mean, you can you can spend $10 and get a result. So it's it's crazy. Yeah, It's really crazy. Yeah, Facebook ads are, it's, you know, people talk about like, well, it's creepy how much Facebook knows about you, but you're, it's dependent on your activity on there, right? Like it shows what you're interested in <laughs> and then they just, they keep that and say, okay, yeah, this guy likes drones. So the, when a drone yeah. ad comes by, then they'll be like, I'm gonna serve it up to this person because he might be interested in that. And I think yeah. it's a good thing because I'd rather see an ad about something to do with drones than something to do with dog food because I don't yeah. have a dog. So <laughs> I don't need that, right? <laughs> so I think, I think the tar- I like the targeting. It's good. It keeps, you know, keeps things relevant. Yeah, it does. It does. And then if you're on the opposite side to where you're advertising to people, I mean, it's great. I mean, I mean right now you can, run, you can run an ad. Like literally, you can run an ad to somebody who is interested in a, you can run an ad to the wife of a guy having his birthday next week, who is interested in drones, who was in the top 10% um, zip code uh, for income earning per year. So meaning like you can run an ad to a uh, wealthy wife who wants to find a present for her husband next week because it's her birthday, because it's his birthday and he's interested in drones. Like, come on, like what other... What other platforms to target somebody that specifically for, for cheap? Like I said, you can run an ad for five bucks, ten bucks, or ten thousand dollars if you want. I mean, it is just so incredible. Yeah, it's that crazy. billboard on the side of the highway or that commercial spot <laughs> on TV is not going to get you that specific, right? No, and and no one's looking at those either because during commercials they're looking at their phone, or while you're driving, you're just, the passenger is looking at his phone. So. It, I think it's just where all the attention is. So, and, and drones lend themselves very nicely to these social platforms because taking a photo of the drone flying is very cool, but then the actual image that the drone takes is also very cool. So that does work very well on, on any social platform. I mean, even YouTube, we didn't mention that, but YouTube is huge for for uh, everything drone. So I think there's there's definitely a lot. There's There's a lot that these social platforms can do to to help someone who's a uh, professional drone service provider. Yep. And what do you think? Should people attack all of those channels or should they concentrate and get really good at one or two of them? Um, good question. So I think that it uh, behooves of you to, uh, I think it's wise to have your hands spread out in a little bit of all of them. Because for example, in Facebook, when I started posting a lot about my RC helicopter, 
um, dealings and world back in 2010 or so, 2011, 12, when I started posting a lot about that, my organic reach was through the roof. As to where now, in order to reach anybody like that, the post has to really do well or have to run an ad. So now, I'm, now my business is at the mercy of Facebook's algorithm that they just decide to change overnight. As to where, for example, with a LinkedIn, I'm reaching all these people organically without running an ad or anything. So it depends, you know, I don't like being at the mercy of a certain platform based on their, uh, based on whatever uh, uh, algorithms they're running that day or that year. So personally, I just try to do everything and I just try to just tailor my content a little bit towards, you know, how, how people are acting on that, uh, on that platform. And I just know at the end of the day, I'm still not making anywhere near enough content that I should be, but uh, I'm certainly, certainly trying, certainly trying. Yeah. You made a good point there about tailoring the content to that platform, because if you just put the same thing on every platform, I don't think you're going to get the traction with it, right? Like one thing might stick on, you know, platform A or say like, it's a, it's a good thing for Instagram, but it's not going to be a good thing for LinkedIn. So if you put the same thing on both, it's going to be kind of, it's going to, you know, make your image good on Instagram and it's going to make you look not as good on LinkedIn, right? So tailor it to the audiences there and tailor it to the, you know, the size of media and the type of media and that kind of stuff. I think that that goes a long way. Yeah, I I agree. And I think people act differently. So as soon as you open one app or another, people act differently. So if you're, uh, I I think of Instagram as uh, a bunch of, I mean, I'm a millennial. Sure. So I can throw that word around. I think of, uh, Instagram is a bunch of millennials kind of hanging out at the bar or on a beach or just real casual. So a lot of emojis, a lot of cool pictures, filters, uh, videos, things of that, you know, memes, things of that sort. As to where if you look at uh, a uh, LinkedIn, for example, I think of you're at the office, you know, you got your shirt and tie on and this is how you're going to talk. You're not using as much slang and everything, but you're still yourself. So you still have to act yourself, but you just tailor the content a little bit more. Um, LinkedIn, I try to get a little bit more kind of educational if I could, or um, a little bit broad about maybe the industry or the market as to where Instagram's like, whoa, check out this freaking, this badass picture with a, you know, uh, check out this awesome photo with these filters. And it was right at sunset and it's like the perfect shot. So it, it just depends kind of what you're, what you're looking for. Yep. All great points. And that was a, we talked about a variety of topics, Bobby, but that was a great chat that we just had about, you know, building drones and marketing and you know, <laughs> working with the stuff. Like it's, that's, that's awesome stuff. So where can people find you online if they want to check out what you're doing? Um, yeah, for sure. So I guess they could come to my website so then I can retarget them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so my, <laughs> no, my website <laughs> is, uh, my website is uh, watsinnovations.com. Um, and then I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube, you can just search my name, Bobby Watts, and you can find me there. And if you guys have any questions at all, I'd be happy to help in whatever way I can. Um, I've been trying to make a living doing RC and drones for like literally half my life, 15 years, and I've done it all. And I know the challenges that it, that it, that it faces in, in multiple aspects. So if anybody needs a hand with something or need some direction or if I can help in any way, I'd, I'd love to help just shoot me an email at any time and, um, or hit me up through any of those channels and I'll do my best to, to get back to you. Awesome. That's what the drone community is all about, right? Like if we just hold on to our information, we're not going to get better, right? So 
sharing the yeah. information like you just said is awesome so yeah thanks for thanks for doing that i'm sure people will be in touch with you yeah yeah i certainly certainly hope so and then hope everybody if anybody got anything out of this i think that maybe the the one thing they could get out of this is like number one what we just mainly talked about is is how to use like the internet to promote your business and then on the pilot side of things just like really make sure you know how to fly like i just can't stand seeing these you know people showing up on sets and they don't know how to fly and then the drone crew suddenly gets a bad rap so like if you're going to be a drone professional like just know how to fly just make sure you put in put in your hours you know put in those 10,000 hours to become a, a professional behind the sticks so um yeah those are my two my two little uh two little end caps i love it yeah if you want to learn about the marketing side of things remember to check out gary v and uh, his what he's doing online for the marketing side of things. And then if you want to learn how to fly, just come over to the drone trainer where I am, and uh, I'll show you how to do that stuff there. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. That was yeah, a great absolutely. chat. Thanks yeah. for coming on the show. Yeah, no doubt, Chris. Definitely. Thanks so much. And I think what you're doing is great, by the way. I think it's awesome. I think guys can learn a lot from what you're teaching. So I think it's awesome. All right, on. Thank you. Awesome. All right, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. So that was it. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Hopefully, you guys got a little bit of value from that. Um, once again, I think Chris is doing some amazing things with his uh, the drone trainer um, website and, and service that he offers. So definitely go take a look at that if you're just getting started um, or you know if, if you're in the drone service industry and fly drones actively. I think he's got a lot of really good content there. Um, so yeah, so that's it for me. Basically, just kind of doing a lot of wrenching now, getting caught up on some orders. Uh, we're doing some really exciting builds for clients now and in the um, cinematography space, package delivery, um, LiDAR scanning, you name it. Um, it's just been crazy. Just the, the, the amount that this drone industry is really taking off um, right now is, is just incredible. And I think it's literally just the beginning. So um, if you found this interesting, definitely hit me up on any of my social channels, um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, whatever it might be, hit me up and let me know some feedback on this. And uh, if you're in this kind of industry and want to share the podcast, I would definitely appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and coworkers. Uh, that would be amazing. Just trying to get some more episodes out there and provide as much value as I can to you guys. So once again, thank you guys for listening. This has been High Voltage with Bobby Watts, and I will chat with you guys next time. See ya!